Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, you lovely lot, and welcome to this week's edition of Tuesday Night Jaw on the Distraction Pieces Network. Uh, the Distraction Pieces Network, who did a quiz yesterday on, on YouTube. We premiered it on youtube.com forward slash Scroobius Pip. Um, it's a little quiz that the network got together uh, to produce and, and, and ask some questions and stuff. Uh, we It was amazing, really. Um, we had so many listeners. It was incredible. We It was way beyond our expectations. Uh, and everyone had a really good good time being involved with it. I think I mentioned on the last episode, um, I got Jim to do my round um, because I wanted to take some power back. Also, it's because I want to play the actual quiz impartially, so I don't know any of the answers to any any of the questions. So I'm probably going to play it um, tonight, maybe, of recording, or maybe maybe this week. So that is up on youtube.com forward slash Krubius Pip. So check it out. It, again, it's, it was a really good laugh, and Pip went above and beyond in terms of production and stuff like that. I've already seen the GIFs from 
the episode and they are well worth it well worth it for the gifts alone so uh, get involved in that make sure you check out everything else that's on the podcast network um, in terms of this episode I'm going to try and keep this intro quite short because it's a little bit of a different feel this week um, as I ha- kind of launch a series that I've been f- I've been plotting out for a while. Uh, the reason why it took so long to plot out is is because I kind of wanted to get my head around what I wanted these episodes to be in terms of content but in terms of how i executed it i know i know the reason why i'm doing it but i just wanted to make sure the execution would get hit spot on and hopefully this first episode is is the first dip of the toe into it and and it will continue to sort of evolve from from here um so the the series is, is is called the anatomy of um and every episode will be a, the anatomy of a certain wrestling move. So this week it's an uh, the uh, it's it's a good start when you can't even say the episode name. The anatomy of an arm drag, um, and then from then on it'll be things like the drop kick, the body slam, uh, the European uppercut, um, and we'll sort of deep dive into the move. Uh, but not just the execution of the move, the history of the move, the philosophy, uh, psychology of the move. Essentially, it all stems from one trigger point, which is this week is the arm drag, and then we kind of go from there outwards. So it should become very clear when we get into the episode. Um, There's a little bit more production than there usually has been on previous episodes, and there's loads of people to thank. Uh, I'll do that at the end. I'll do an official credits. Um, So I really appreciate um, the people have helped me put this together and sort of visualize how I'm going to do uh, this episode. So yes, that's everything out of the way. Um, hopefully, again, this goes well. Hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, and, and again, this is something that I've been thinking about for a long time, but I've also been thinking about it as a piece of content that's not just going to be a weekly or two weekly bit of content and then kind of throw it away or disregard it. It's going to be something that can stay around for a long time and people can dip back into and, and, and sort of listen to in the archive as well. Anyway, all that guff's out of the way. Thank you so much for listening and welcome to this week's edition of Tuesday Night Jaw. Welcome to the anatomy of an arm drag. In 2008, one match changed how I looked at and put together tag team matches. The match in question was on the Shawn Michaels Triumph from Heartbreak DVD and was the Rockers versus the Brainbusters from 1989 in Madison Square Garden. So this was around about the time when I was knee-deep in, in being involved in a babyface tag team, uh, as I was for, for most of my cosplay period of trying to be a professional wrestler. And the thing that we lifted from this match initially was a particular spot uh, where, and you would know it now, and we called it the rocker spot, which is where your partner is going to be hoisted up for a double suplex. Um, you slip in, you guide them down, heels turn round into a pair of super kicks from the babyfaces. Uh, and then if you're a pro at this spot, <laughs> as we became, you showed out because that's what baby faces did. But the significance in terms of psychology and match structure 
of the match and what happened during that match is something that clicked a little bit later on for me in terms of being involved in wrestling. This is one thing that inspired this series, but also one thing that has become uh, more pronounced probably as, as the times have gone on is how much more analytical I am in terms of watching matches or thinking about the structure of matches. And the thing that this match did was really teach me and other people what a tag team match is and why it's distinctly different from a singles contest or any other matchups that are involved in professional wrestling. The general consensus in this matchup is that the team that has control of the match and has control of their opponents is the team that will be successful. If you go back and watch this match, which I'm pretty sure is now available on the WWE Network and, of course, is on the pre-mentioned DVD, the whole story of the match is the Rockers, Marty and Sean, having control and the better of Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. The only time that that sort of disappears is when the Brainbusters manipulate the rules into their favours. But the Babyface's main goal of this match is outmaneuver and control your opponents. And that is no more obvious than in the execution of one of the most basic and simplistic moves in professional wrestling, the arm drag. Throughout this match, the movement and speed of the Rockers gives them the advantage, but it's the moves such as hip tosses, double teams, but also the arm drag that gives them control over their opponents and control over their opponent's arm. So on this episode, we're going to look at the psychology behind one of the most aesthetically pleasing but basic moves in professional wrestling. So I'll preference this before we take a look back into the history of this move that to steal a quote of someone who's a favorite podcaster of mine and, and sort of an inspiration behind this episode, Dan Carlin, I'm not a historian, I'm just a fan of history. So this isn't intended to be a deep and accurate dive into the history of the arm dragon professional wrestling, more of an observational look at the basis and beginning of this move. Now, I did a little bit of research and you tend to have these things in professional wrestling, especially when it comes to throws or tosses or sort of any move that can, involves you controlling your opponent. A lot of that stuff is based in catch wrestling. So that's kind of where I looked into in terms of this. You know, you look at things like the hip toss that might be a, a subject for a, a future episode. The hip toss comes from the Cornish style of old wrestling, that grappling style. But the arm drag in terms of terminology is still something that is used in catch wrestling and also Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I found a video of a former professional wrestler and catch wrestling legend Billy Robinson, a man that spent time training in the infamous Wigan Snake Pit, as well as teaching students in the art of catch wrestling in later years in Utah and America, but he was also a professional wrestler that wrestled for the likes of AWA in the States as well. And I, I watched a breakdown of him talking about the advantage of arm drags in catch wrestling. 
So the start of his breakdown is all about controlling the wrist. That is something that I'm going to go into in a second. But the idea is that you control the wrist and you'll pull your opponent towards you. Now, when you have control of the wrist and you start to pull your opponent towards you, there is sort of three basic maneuvers that you can kind of do. You can go for the waist, you can go for the leg. uh, And if you kind of want to turn them, you control the wrist and then manipulate the elbow. Now, it's that movement, that twist, that pull that has sort of the grounds of what a now professional wrestling or for a lack of a better term, sports entertainment. And it's that pull and turn that has the aesthetic look of what a professional wrestling arm drag looks like in 2020. When you look into catch wrestling, there's certain terminology that comes up a lot and it's using the arm as a lever that emphasis on leverage and this is where the real roots of an arm drag come into play now i kind of wanted to move away from the legitimate and start to move back towards professional wrestling so a brief conversation with Jack Gallagher, someone who actually spent time training under Billy Robinson, spent time training in the snake pit, but is obviously now a professional wrestler with WWE. I asked him a few questions, and his main point was that if you're trying to look for the realism in an arm drag, look no further than one of the most famous practitioners of this move, and look no further than the dragon Ricky Steamboat. The wrapping or the hooking of the arm around the neck is where the catch slash shoot becomes the sports entertainment style. Now, Jack also made a point of, in terms of going back and looking into history of the move, it's commonly referred to in mixed martial arts and and and, and maybe more so in Brazilian jiu-jitsu as an arm roll, but there's several different moves that could be referred to such. Now, if you go online and look at places like bloodyelbow.com, they will commonly refer to something as an arm drag in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And of course, it's a far different move than what you see in professional wrestling. The, I mean, the art of Brazilian jiu-jitsu is fighting off your back, so it's all about control when you're on the mat. But it was Jack's point about the aesthetic of the move in professional wrestling being linked to someone so synonymous with the move that caught my interest. Steamboat now, if you go back and watch his matches, especially from sort of the late 80s into the early 90s, the opening portion of his matchups, he used to utilize a very deep arm drag to control his opponent and manipulate them in the early stages of the matchup. But this got me thinking, if aesthetics plays such a key part in professional wrestling, does the psychology change when the execution of the move is done slightly differently? I'll take a look at the difference between control and separation after this quick message. Hopefully you're enjoying the episode so far and the new concept of the show. I'm just going to take a little brief moment in the middle of this to give a shout out to a friend and someone who did the design for this podcast series. This isn't an official 
uh, Acast or Distraction Pieces shout out. It's just something I wanted to do for a mate uh, and someone who's doing really good work. So the um, anatomy of graphic that you will probably see attached to this on a tweet is done by Shoto Design. Uh, that's at Shoto Design on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, the website is merchtcom forward slash you forward slash Shoto. Uh, they do loads of different design work now for several wrestlers as well as sort of original artwork. They're the guys behind a lot of the imagery, uh, video editing, and t-shirt design and merch design for Tetsujin. So make sure you go and check them out. Uh, big shout out to them and really appreciate them doing some work for this episode. So control versus difference. Now this is where the arm drive becomes an interesting move in terms of aesthetics and terminology. There is several different variations of this move. We mentioned earlier on the arm coming across the neck is the one based in realism, but we can't mention Ricky Steamboat without those deep hooked in arm drags where you crescent your body. And now when I was learning to wrestle, that's the type of arm drag that I wanted to do. That's the type of arm drag that I always try to execute with. And I'm pretty confident in saying it's the only wrestling move I ever did pretty well. That's the most aesthetically pleasing. And then you kind of go down the list. You've got the Japanese arm drag, which is more reminiscent, I guess, to a fan of a a hip toss with a slight variation, a move that I always call wrong on commentary as it comes too fast and I always call it a hip toss. But the one that I settled on when doing research for this in terms of aesthetically different is one that I think is psychology-wise for a match the most different to any other variation, and that is the Lucha Libre style arm drag. Now, this is kind of where I got a little bit deeper <laughs> into trying to pick up the psychology. Now, I mentioned the Rockers match at the beginning of this episode. That is all about bringing your opponent in close and controlling them. The same with the catch wrestling background, the same with the Brazilian jiu-jitsu background, the same with Steamboat's iconic arm drags at this point. But if you watch Lucha Libre, which has its own history and his own identity almost on an island to itself to every other wrestling style, whether that be Japanese wrestling, British wrestling, or American wrestling, the psychology of what an arm drag does in a matchup is vastly different. This move is usually used to create separation and distance from your opponent. So the speed of a match is usually dictated by an arm drag in terms of launching your opponent away from him. Now you can obviously use this in in several different ways, uh, several different variations, but you commonly see uh, this psychology in Lucha Libre where you create the separation and then you go for something a little bit more spectacular, whether it be a tope, whether it be uh, a springboard off off the rope, or even sort of a cartwheel or some kind of wheelbarrow. And the arm drag is really, really key and 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 quite a aesthetically pleasing move to to sort of capture that essence of the match and that psychology. Um, I was kind of going through some gifs and, and looking at it, and the one thing that always uh, the one thing that sort of stood out to me was that I would see these arm drags that looked more like a hook than a hyperextension of the arm or keeping the arm close to you and it was almost this hook movement 
of you bringing your opponent in close and then pushing them away while maintaining that hook on their arm and launching them that kind of gave them the trajectory. So the way to think about the difference between control versus distance in terms of psychology is to think about the size of your opponent. This is the most simple and basic way to do it. If you're a small guy wrestling a big guy, you want to extend the distance between you so that you can sort of stick and move to use a boxing analogy. The thought process being the smaller guy usually has a speed advantage. Now, obviously, wrestling has continued to evolve and that line of thought may go by the wayside as performers come in different shapes, different sizes and different athletic background. But the general consensus behind getting distance between you and your opponent or separation between you and your opponent is to either outmaneuver them or for you to catch your breath after being on the receiving end of punishment. So this line of thought almost falls in line with that Lucha Libre psychology. The Lucha Libre psychology is to flow from move to move in smooth transitions, but the general basis is always to outperform and outmaneuver your opponent. So this is maybe why we see a cultural and psychological difference when it comes to the arm drag in Mexico. The thing with this is that I actually saw a lot of these variations of this arm drag, this Lucha Libre style arm drag, actually executed by... Joshi wrestlers, the female Japanese wrestling style. And a lot of the video that I watched was either sort of have a opening flurry where the baby face is on top of the of, of the heel, um, you know, outmaneuvering the heel, and then they would launch him to the outside, they'd hit a tope, or they this this moment of this arm drag, usually executed out of something like a wheelbarrow or a sort of a tilt-a-whirl or some other move, was sort of the acceleration or the continued acceleration of the match. And and to me, that was, was fascinating that this variation aesthetically on this move that was so different to every other wrestling style started cropping up more in Joshi wrestling. And the more and more I looked into it, the more and more I discovered that this style of execution, style of arm drag, also seeped into the male side of Japanese wrestling. And you've kind of got to look back at history and and sort of question why, how, and when. And I personally, again, I will state that I'm not a historian, I'm just a fan of history. But I think that really comes back to one man in particular, and that man is Gran Hamada. A Japanese wrestler that did sort of get some notoriety in Japan in his later years, but he's someone who learned his craft in Mexico and someone that is, among others, someone that should be accredited with that more Lucha Libre style that you see in certain promotions, namely places like Michinoku Pro, Dragon Gate. Gran Amado was so different to every other Japanese wrestler in his generation that now, if you say 80s Japanese male wrestling to someone, that usually brings up imagery of the likes of Antonio Inoki or other heavyweight Japanese wrestlers that had a very serious, even somewhat catch style, given their influences from the likes of Carl Gotch and Billy Robinson, and not someone who was a shorter and quicker wrestler. That's 
not forget that, especially in companies like All Japan, their junior heavyweights weren't as well regarded as they are now. And Gran Hamada was someone that should be accredited with bringing that Lucha Libre style back to Japan and Japanese wrestling. You know, you think about it, you, you don't have Ultimo Dragon, you don't have Great Sasuke, you don't have Super Delphin if you don't have Gran Hamada. And this is where the globalization of professional wrestling starts to get interesting. And this is where this series really wants to focus on. It's the why, not so much as the how. It's the why is this move used now and how is it impacted going forward? And I think as much as we still in British wrestling perceive the arm drag or some kind of arm throw as controlling your opponent, the, the wider landscape of professional wrestling now has so much more of an influence from this Lucha Libre style. You know, the lines between heavyweight and junior heavyweight wrestling have become incredibly blurred over the last five years. And it's fascinating when a move that is as old as professional wrestling, even dating back to the Greek era of the early Olympics, that this move is so versatile in terms of aesthetics, but also psychology. So, so my advice to any young wrestler that's listening to this is instead of doing what I did for the first two or three years of, of, of my pretend wrestling career and just throwing in arm drags and arm control at the beginning of the match because that's what you did. Think about why you want to control the wrist, why you want to control the arm, why you want to keep your opponent close. Or on the flip side, as we've discussed, why do you want to create that separation and that distance and why is an arm drag the best move to utilize in that moment? I also understand that not everyone listens to this podcast and I would argue that the majority of the people that don't listen to this podcast aren't professional wrestlers. So you might be asking, okay, you've broke down the psychology of it. That's all very interesting. But who are the people that you should be looking to to sort of have the best example of understanding this move, the mechanics, and also the why behind it? I mentioned Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, arguably the most famous person for utilizing this. Gran Hamada is someone that everyone should absolutely look up. But it's more the disciples, I would say, of these people especially when it comes to Gran Hamada. Ultimo Dragon's influence has been felt massively as we look at the style of wrestling that Dragon Gate still to this day performs and executes. It's, it's far more of a mixture of styles and variations rather than one particular Japanese or Mexican style. And you look at the Westerners that came through that company, the, the likes of Apollo Crews, Ricochet, and even Pac slash Adrian Neville, and their influence that they took from there is still that high-speed separation psychology. So in terms of the modern era in the control camp, so to speak, I think that you still get to see this move utilised by a certain style of wrestler and for me it's usually a British wrestler people like Pete Dunne has emphasized risk control over his sort of rise to popularity as well as the likes of Marty Skrull, Jack Gallagher these three people although are modern incarnations are still homages to that world of sport 
catch wrestling style. They understand the rules of professional wrestling, and they understand how to, uh, should we say, push right up to it. I mean, if you control the wrist, you control the hand, and like unlike judo or Brazilian jiu-jitsu, small joint manipulation in professional wrestling is legal, and especially for the likes of Pete Dunne and Marty Skull, they seem to utilize that maybe better than most. So there we go. That's just a little bit of a look into some history, some psychology, uh, and and a little bit of of the aesthetic because it's professional wrestling. Um, I really enjoyed putting this episode together because it made me think so much more about the beginning of a professional wrestling match. And this is why I told the story at the beginning. That match in, in 2008 that I watched, you know, almost 20 years after the match, I think it was like 19 years after the match, made me structure matches differently. At the time, I didn't understand why. I was just kind of like, hey, this is a fun way to open this match. But it was something that gave me more thought later on. And now when I'm, I'm watching a match, it's something that that I, I often look for. And every professional wrestling match has its own personality, has its own identity, has its own story. But if you're a storyteller in professional wrestling, it's not so much what you convey orally, or obviously you don't have a pen in terms of writing a narrative. It's about the movements and maneuvers that you do to paint your own tapestry and hopefully create a masterpiece in regards to professional wrestling. I just want to do some last quick shout outs for people that inspired or helped me with this episode. As previously mentioned in the middle of this episode, the artwork was done by Shoto Design. The original photography for the design was taken by Beyond Gorilla. The music interludes was produced by Danny Hall. And I just wanted to give a shout out to two people that actually inspired me to do this style of episodes uh, and try and play with the production a little bit. And that is Jack Slack from the MMA world and Dan Carlin from Hardcore History. If you know, you know. But in the meantime, take care of yourself, stay safe, and I'll see you next time on Tuesday Night Jaw presents The Anatomy of... deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.